<laughs> All right. Good morning, everybody. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Good to see you today. And here we go. All right. So, um, first of all, um, let's go ahead and deal with it. Okay. Let us go ahead and deal with it. Okay. When we are called by God, even through the foreshadowing of Exodus, to worship, we're called out of our slavery to sin, and we're called into the new life that we have in God. We are called to worship God and turn away from the old ways, even the ways of the world, and turn to God and his ways. And what we do in worship is we come into agreement with who God is, what God said he created the world to be, what God said is true, what God said is right, and we submit ourselves to those things. In fact, when we look in the New Testament, the Bible says that we are to be transformed, literally transformed, by the renewing of our minds. So that we'll be able to test and approve what God's good, pleasing, and perfect will is. Now, we know that the world in which we live comes with a whole lot of complexities. Complexities. And I will say complexities. Because things are never just a catchphrase or a one-statement answer to things. Everybody understands that, correct? But what we do know is that God's word is true. God's word is eternal. And what we've got to do as a people of God is learn to with grace and truth, like the Lord Jesus Christ, represent him well. As a Christian, you do not, and I do not, have the privilege of representing myself or ourselves in a way other than Jesus Christ would represent himself in the world, full of grace and truth. And oftentimes we choose one over the other, do we not? Oftentimes we choose either grace, which we think should overlook things that Jesus Christ, in fact, went to the cross to die for. Or we think that we should exalt truth at the expense of grace for a world that he's still trying to reach. But whenever Jesus showed up on the scene, he didn't just come like Moses with the law, but he came with both grace and truth grace and truth so when we are in a perpetual cycle of having to navigate things in our community and our culture that people even who claim on claim to be serving at times the same lord are combating about what is our solution our solution is to approach all things with the word of God as our standard and with the heart of God as our motivation, approaching all people with grace and truth. And our appeal to you today is to do that, to do that as we're moving forward, to do that as we're having hard conversations with family members, friends, coworkers, community members, about the things that are so inflammatory amongst us. 
but we thank God that we serve a God who has come to give life and life abundant from the womb to the grave and because of Jesus Christ after the grave and in it all he says he's coming so his church might know how to communicate grace and truth now let me say this very practically you, you'll see this in a moment when we get into the uh, message today um, we want to equip you we want to equip you um, in how to handle the issues the topics the world in which we live with that grace and truth and I'm telling you it cannot be done simply in a 30-minute message but what we want to do is invite you into the biblical conversation invite you into the biblical conversation that all of us might have our minds renewed and ultimately represent the mind of Christ how many people can say amen to that okay with great sensitivity with great love but also with great devotion to our Lord and his word we celebrate that which God celebrates And we also navigate with grace and truth that which remains. Can everybody say amen to that? Okay. Today's message is continuing the Exodus Chronicle series. But today's message is specifically talking about how we, as the people of God, can actually rise up within the community of God to represent that grace and truth. Okay? So what we're going to do is we're going to break the message down into three parts today with this focus. That to walk with Christ is to find your value, meaning, purpose, and grace. This is the, literally the next chapter in our Exodus Chronicle series. And we see that in Exodus chapter 18, we see a game plan with how to walk with Christ means to find your value, meaning, purpose, and grace. We're going to break it down into three parts today. We're going to talk first about a Christian call to leadership. That we shouldn't be those who are just part of the echo chamber of society, but we should be those who are declaring the truths of God in grace and truth and know how to correctly handle the word of truth to actually be shapers of not only people's lives but society. Number two, to help people find God-given value and meaning, and then finally to find God's purpose and grace. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word to us today. God, we thank you that you've given it to us so that we can stand in both your grace and truth. Jesus, we thank you that you live sinlessly. 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 Making up for our shortcomings and our failings. God, you died sacrificially and you were raised again victoriously for our new life in you. God, we pray that you would help us today to see even through the Exodus example how we all have a call as followers of Jesus to walk in the value, meaning, purpose, and grace that you have for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So number one, a Christian called the leadership. The truth of the matter is, is that as you walk with God, every Christian 
not just those who are social media influencers, not just those with the pulpit, not just those who have a microphone in their hand. Every Christian will be called to grow in how they influence the world for Christ. Every one of us will be called in how we influence the world for Christ. See, when we're following Jesus, once again, what we're saying is that my life is no longer my own, but I was bought at a price. And therefore, in everything, in every way, I'm to honor God. That your life and my life is about ultimately honoring God. Can we agree, to, agree, agree with that as Christian people? Our life is to reflect the honor of God. Now, whenever Moses... Uh, was walking with the Israelites and they were being called out of Egypt. <laughs> they were being called out of Egypt and they were called to worship God in the wilderness. You know, Pharaoh, the first thing that Pharaoh said is he said, hey, listen, I want you to come and I want you to, you can go and worship and you can take your men, but go just a short distance away and worship at the, with the sacrifices that God has for you. And Moses said, well, listen, I can, we can't stay amongst this camp because our worship of God is detestable in the eyes of the Egyptians. It's detestable in the eyes of the Egyptians, and they'll scorn the very thing that we're trying to give to God in worship of him. And do you know that when you're serving God, the things that you understand and embrace as truth, because God said so, are not always acceptable in the eyes of the world. That sometimes your worship of God with a world that does not recognize love and matter of fact resists God, it may actually be detestable the things that you declare to be truth. Does everybody realize that? When you are a servant of God, it does mean, not mean that you get to be a friend of the world. Matter of fact, he says, if anyone's a friend of the world, it's hatred towards God. Is that what the Bible says? Anyone who loves the world, if you have a love for the world and the ways of the world, it's literally hatred towards God. Because God stands in opposition to the demonic ways that the world lives. And he came to rescue us out of those things. And so he's saying, when he's called you out as a Christian to love him, serve him, and love the things that he loves, and how about this, actually even hate the things that he hates? so that he might anoint you like Christ with the oil of joy, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you the ability to be an echo chamber for the world that stands against God, though it would be more comfortable in the workplace, in your neighborhood, amongst your family and friends. It will cost you something. And we've got to embrace that in God. But we see that as you walk with God, the influence grows. And in Exodus 18, starting in verse 1, there was a man named Jethro who was the father-in-law of Moses. And he was a priest in Midian at the time of the Exodus, at the time of the deliverance. And it said that after God had brought the Israelites out, in verse 1, Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people. So God had won a great victory for his people who were praying, crying out to God repeatedly. 
for things. God had won a great victory, and Jethro heard about it. How the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. I've been a sojourner in a foreign land. So what you see that Moses actually understood was that he was a sojourner passing through, that even though they were headed to the promised land, earth as we know it is not our ultimate home. Everybody understand that? This world as we know it is not our ultimate home. Matter of fact, there is an eternal kingdom that God promised to bring in the redemption of all things through the appearing of Jesus' his son to judge the whole world in righteousness and in truth. And he named his son Gershom because he had this understanding that I'm a sojourner passing through. He said, for I'm a foreigner in a, for, I'm a um, sojourner in a foreign land at that time, Egypt, and now going into the promised land of modern-day Israel. And the name of the other, Eliezer, for he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. So I had to take a stand, but God delivered me in the midst of having to take a stand. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law, Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed and kissed him. And they asked each other the welfare of each, and they went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, and all the hardship that had come upon them on the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. And said that when they testified, when Moses testified to Jethro, what was the result? Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, and that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than, not some, but all gods. That Yahweh, the God of Israel, is greater than all gods. Because in this affair, they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. And so what we see is that in the midst of the great deliverance that Israel experienced, Moses was testifying and rejoicing even with Jethro, who wasn't necessarily a part of the Israelite camp, but he was testifying to him about the greatness of God and the great things that God had done, how God had delivered them in the midst of great trial, and he brought them to a place where they could now celebrate the deliverance of God. Now, when he was testifying, what was the result of that? The result of that was is that Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, turned and began to worship in the same way. He saw it as good and began to turn and worship in the same way. And so what began to happen was is that his testimony of God's deliverance was impactful and influential in turning the worship of Moses' father-in-law Jethro to the living God. And in the same way, each and every one of us as Christians have, or at least should have, should have a testimony that you're building your life on that you can declare the deliverance of God for you to those who are surrounding you that it might actually influence their worship of God as well. 
And the question is, do you have that type of testimony today? Have you been purely a Christian who has been part of the cultural environment, the cultural environment, knowing maybe the right things to say, maybe the right positions to take, and maybe the right things to stand on, but you haven't actually had a dynamic relationship with God. You're still stuck in your sins. As a matter of fact, when you're outside of the company of people who also declare themselves Christians, you begin to declare a different message. Because of the pressures that are around you. Do you have, in fact, a BC, a cross, and an AD experience? Because everybody needs one. Do you have an experience or a testimony of God's deliverance in your life where before Christ came and radically not only transformed your heart, but also your mind and your thinking about what is true and right and wrong? Do you have a before Christ testimony which says i used to live this way i used to think this way i used to give myself to these things because it was how i was raised it was how the culture presented truth to me and i bowed and buckled to that truth just like everybody else around me but i have a cross experience now where just as jesus died on the cross sacrificially and graciously for me he's transformed not only my heart but now my mind in him and now i'm being conformed to the image of christ that everything i say everything i cling to everything i value and everything that i do is in alignment with him do you have that type of testimony and do you have an ad testimony the year of your, the lord right where basically you're able to say, since I met Jesus, since I met Jesus, though it cost me something going out to worship, and though my worship of God was repugnant in the sight of those in the world around me, I'm able to stand by the grace that God's given me because I know his word is true and his grace is available to me day after day after day to help me stand and make me new. And not only receive that grace from him, but then also, just like Moses with Jethro, offer that grace as a testimony to others, saying, just as I've been free, you can be free too. Do you have that type of testimony? Well, because the issue is if you don't, you need it. If you don't, there needs to be a real and powerful transformation in your life, and the love of God in your heart needs to be not just with all of your heart, which are your affections, but your mind. Everybody say mind. You see, a lot of Christians leave their mind at the door. Isn't that the truth? They don't think about the things that God says are true. And so you have great zeal for God and you can come into a worship session and jump up and down and sing songs that are generally pretty nebulous about God. That's why we like the hymns. But we, a lot of times, don't think about that proper application of God's grace and truth in our everyday lives. But have you come to love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength? Well, how are we going to do that? We've got to do it like they said. Let's continue reading Exodus 18. It said the next day Moses did what? He sat to judge. He sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. To do what? It said when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me, to do what? 
inquire of God. The people come to me to inquire of God. And in the midst of all of the cacophony of opinions, all of the pundits, all of the things that are going on in the media right now about this great and momentous occasion, how many people, even who call themselves Christians, are going to inquire of God? Rather than just responding, rather than just lashing back emotionally about things, who is going to inquire of God? Because Moses said, that's the reason I'm standing in front of the people. And it's not just so that they would learn to inquire of God, but when they inquire of God, what is it that they're taught? What is it that they're taught? When they have a dispute, (laughs) meaning a disagreement. Anybody ever have a disagreement with somebody in the camp of the Lord? (laughs) A disagreement. When they have a dispute, these are, it's not talking about Egypt and Israel. It's talking about Israel and Israel. You see that? It's talking about Israel and Israel. When they have a dispute, they do what? They come to me and I decide between one person and another how, Moses, by making them know the statutes of God and his laws by making known to them the statutes of God and his laws so when we're in a situation or when we're in a moment in time just like now do we celebrate victories in the Lord Okay. (laughs) I'm going to ask again. Do we celebrate victories in the Lord? Do we realize that even in the midst of the victories, there can be disputing? Do you see this in the Word? In the midst of the victories, there can be disputing. And what are we to do as the people of God? Are we to go into factions and into our different camps and then begin arguing, pointing fingers at one another and say, you're with Egypt. I knew it all the time. I knew it. I was waiting for you to show your colors, wolf. (laughs) Right? Or are we to go and inquire of God that we might know through his word, his statutes, and his laws that we by the people might worship him acceptably. Where to do the latter is the answer. Your rights are no longer your own. The Bible says your body is no longer your own. The Bible says things like he's knit you together in your mother's womb. God says, ultimately, he cares about the orphan and the widow. I thank God for women of God like Christina. I thank God for that testimony that Krista gave about Karis, right? About coming alongside of people who had difficult decisions to make and say, we as the church are supporting those who decided on life. We're supporting them. Coming alongside of them. 
Christina, one of our great heroes in the faith, here in our church, has been doing foster care for years in the midst of difficult situations. My own in-laws. You see, my wife had four biological siblings. Well, actually, she was a fourth. Sorry. Three. I know my family. Don't worry. <laughs> she, thought, she had three biological siblings. But my, my, my in-laws, my wife's parents, are heroes in the faith. We affectionately call B's dad Father Abraham because he's over 80 years old parenting a 12-year-old. Not because they were that frisky at that age, but because of the fact that they actually adopted a young man and two siblings that have now graduated from high school. One's about to graduate college, you know what I mean? And raised them from youth in the midst of difficult situations that had to be made. It wasn't one or the other. It was both a hand, right? You, you see that, Christian people? You see that, Christian people? So in the midst of disputes, see, these disputes aren't new. In the midst of disputes, they actually sought God in his commands and said, what do we do about this? What do we do about this? And heroes like Christina said, I must step up and perform pure and faultless religion, which is to take care of widows and orphans and to keep myself from being corrupted by the world. My parents-in-laws did the same thing at 80-something plus. He's, he's probably not watching now because he is, you know where he is? He's in a pulpit in North Carolina still preaching the gospel. Saying pure and faultless religion is this. To take care of widows and orphans in their distress. And to keep yourself from being polluted by the world. You see that? So in the midst of difficult situations, what is our response? It's to have a Christian call to leadership and not just be an echo chamber for the world, but actually press in to the statutes and the commands of God and know how to address the world with grace and truth while holding to the law of God. Does that make sense? And again, I only have a few minutes here, but I'm trying to lay a foundation by which we can have conversations long after this time. Okay? Conversations long after this time. It's a Christian call to leadership. It's also a call to value and meaning. As you walk with God and he illuminates your <clears throat> what happens is that God illuminates as you walk with him your indisputable value and leads you into life's all-sufficient meaning in Christ. <clears throat> I was off-roading it a little bit. Obviously, I was talking a lot initially about the elephant in the room. But I prepared the message before the elephant in the room. So I'm going to go back to my notes real quick because these things are also important that I'm about to say too. Value and meaning. <clears throat> said in verse 17, Moses' father-in-law said to him, after he heard all of these great things that God had done for the deliverance of Israel, and he started to celebrate it himself, Moses' father-in-law said to him, hey, listen, Moses, what you're doing is not good. Anybody ever been corrected like that before in the middle of like your great victories? <laughs> you know, hey, yeah, I'm on top of the world. 
And they're like, then you had somebody wiser and older than yourself saying, but what you're doing is not good. What you talking about, Wills? Right? It's sort of like, listen, man, what you're doing is not good. Why are you saying that, Jethro? Why are you saying that, Jethro? Obviously, we've gotten out of the war, um, like Egypt. We saw God's mighty hand of deliverance, but you're telling me the way I'm doing things is not good. Once again, going back to this grace and truth. I can't get away from it. Going back to this grace and truth. Even as we stand on truth, do you know how you stand on it might not be good? The way you communicate it might not be good. Jesus, in fact, said, the Father taught me not only what to say, but how to say it. He cared about both. He cared about both. And sometimes we're so zealous for the truth that we forget how to communicate that which is true. And it might not be good what we're doing. Is the deliverance good? Okay, that was a real question. Is the deliverance good? Yeah. yeah. Is the victory of the Lord good? Yeah. yeah. But maybe how we're walking it out, that victory might not be good. And we got to check ourselves in both manners. Not only cling to, by faith, the victories of the Lord, but how we walk out those victories. You tracking with me? All right, let's keep going. In Moses' case, what was it that he was doing that wasn't so good? He's like, you and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out. And again, I'm providing no application of this to what we're presently dealing with in our society. This is Moses' situation, but I'm just giving it as a biblical example, okay? You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice, and I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Okay, so once again, God's word. So how you should walk and what you should do. If you are not somebody who reads your Bible every day, you need to start. Hello? Because you are getting anti-biblical messages every day. Every day. In your workplace, in, amongst your family, depending on what type of family you come from, amongst your friendship group, right, on social media, you are being inundated. Everybody say inundated. inundated. You are being inundated with anti-biblical messages. You hear me? The only way to counteract that is to daily read the truth. The only way you're going to be able to tell a counterfeit bill that looks like a real bill, might look compassionate, might look like you're being reasonable or wise. The only way you're going to tell whether something's counterfeit or not is if you compare it to the real article. You compare it to the real thing. And you're able to hold it up, right? Look it up, hold it up, and actually see the water note. And I need to see the image of the sun in everything that I'm thinking and everything that I'm doing. If not, it's a counterfeit. You hear that? And this is what Moses was doing for the people, but he says, hey, listen, don't do that alone. This is what Jethro was telling him. What are you to do instead? 
He said, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, right? First, first requirement for Christian leadership, not just that you call yourself a Christian and can yell at people. The first call to Christian leadership is that you fear God. Far above every man, woman, obstacle, or circumstance you might experience. That you fear God. He said, look for men who fear God. So who should be the people that you're first listening to? Maybe not the most articulate person. Maybe not the person who has the biggest social media following. Maybe not the person who can actually be a pundit appearing on all the major programs. But maybe somebody who fears God. The person you need to be listening to is a person who fears God. And said, God is going to judge me for every ill-spoken word that comes off of my mouth. I don't have the right to say anything except that which is in agreement with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So the first thing that you do is find somebody who's in agreement in, with God, in the fear of the Lord, right? And he says, when you find that person... They shouldn't just have a fear of the Lord, but they are also trustworthy and hate a bribe and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall decide themselves. <clears throat> Every small matter, rather, sorry. They shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you and you will be able to endure. And all this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away on his, to his own country. So what we're seeing here is that God didn't want the ability to think like God, to represent God, and to actually speak on behalf of God just to rest in Moses. You see that? You see that here? He wanted his people to have that ability as well. And so he said, appoint people who are going to be those governors over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens, and give them every case that's small, but the difficult cases you can bring to me, Moses said. And so both you and the people will leave in peace. What does that mean in a context like ours? If there are difficult situations, as in the situation we now experience, we want to talk to you. We want to walk you through the scripture. But do you know on a daily basis that there are, this is why we have things like the community group structures to be a mechanism for discipleship and that the community groups not just be social environments, but they actually be environments where the statutes and the laws of God are communicated that people might be in those environments conformed into the image of Christ. So that 
whether your community group is thousands, hundreds, fifties, or tens, you would have the ability in that place to take that which Moses is proclaiming and actually distribute it to the people so that as people have questions, as things are being reasoned through, as people are having to discuss hard topics and hard issues, you have a safe environment in which you can do it. But what is exalted in that place? The word, the statutes, and the law of God. It's not an opportunity for us to alcove in just segmented, fragmented, right? Factious environments where the disputes, we begin to find one division versus another. No, you don't do that. What you are submitting to in those environments are the statutes and the law of God. Does that make sense? And they are to not just be singular, but they are to, according to Moses, multiply. We want our groups to multiply so that the name and the commands and the word and the influence of God through the people of God might actually multiply. This is why we see that when we're talking about value, value ultimately is given by him to whom you belong. God created you in his image. Meaning, however, is given by the purpose to which he has called you. And every time we come together, what we're reminded of is something a man, a um, famous pastor said where he said, we don't seek to escape this life by dreaming of heaven, but we do find we can endure this life because of the certainty of heaven. That's what we're reminded of every time we get into the statutes and the commands of God. Why do we place value on that which God places value on? Because this world, as we know it, is temporary. But that which God is building is eternal. And he said, heaven is eternal. Earth is temporal. Those who fix all their affections of the fleeting things of this world are the real escapists because they are vainly attempting to avoid facing eternity by hiding in the fleeting shadows of things that are only transient. And if you dig into the root of what people are so inflamed about so often, it's because of these things. They're focused on the temporary and not the eternal. Matter of fact, he goes on to say there's a man named Viktor Frankl who was a Holocaust survivor. Has anyone ever heard of Viktor Frankl before? Yeah. Viktor Frankl, he actually said, when a person can't find a deep sense of meaning, they distract themselves with pleasure. When a person can't find a deep sense of meaning, they distract themselves with pleasure. And God, by his statutes and word, are trying to call us to something different. And where we find that different thing is ultimately in God's purpose and grace. And you find both God's purpose for your life and grace when you finally serve Christ as Lord. So here's the point. When you're having, going back out of this place into the world, and you're going to have not some but many difficult conversations, who are you to represent? Who are you to represent? Jesus Christ. You're to represent Jesus Christ and not yourself. How are you to represent him? With grace and truth. How are you to communicate that grace and truth? Through his word. If you don't have chapter and verse for why you're standing on what you're standing on, we implore you to find it. We implore you to get it. Because God has opinions about all things. Everybody understand that? God speaks to all aspects of life. And he says, go to my word to find it. 
but in doing so, you'll find God's purpose for your life and grace when you finally serve Christ as Lord, not as an add-on to your life, but as Lord. I forgot one, um, one quote I'd like to share with you as well. It's um, C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity, talking about the grace with which we relate to the world. He says, as long as you are proud, ultimately you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. Because we think that we're the final arbiter of truth rather than God himself being the arbiter of all truth. Not some truth, not picking and choosing what's true, but God the creator is the arbiter of all truth. Amen? So finally, where do we find the grace of God? I'm going to give you two scriptures, but because we're running out of time, I'll, um, um, I'll just focus on one of them. The first one is Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. I would encourage you to go back and read it later. It talks about the parable of the workers in the vineyard. The parable of the workers in the vineyard. Right? One of my favorites. And in the parable of the workers of the vineyard, Jesus said, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And here's the point, it's his vineyard. It's his vineyard. Just like this earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So who gets to define what's right and wrong in this world? Do, do, do our humanistic sentiments? Hello? I'm, I'm, we're just doing real talk, right? Do our humanistic sentiments get to define what's right and wrong in the world? No, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Therefore, he established the foundations on the waters, right? Therefore, it's his vineyard. He gets to decide how we're to conform to his image. So he sent when he got laborers for a denarius a day, and he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. I love it. That's our generation, right? <laughs> standing idle in the marketplace. Hey, what you doing today? Well, I don't know what you doing, <laughs> right? They might remember the old Disney, like, uh, what is it, Robin Hood, the cartoon version, right, when they were sitting, or maybe it was Dumbo. Was it Dumbo? Yeah, the vultures. Yes, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? It's like they, they sort of look like the Beatles, right? <laughs> sort of like, you know, I'll, you know what you want to do today? <laughs> you know, I'll know what you want to do, <laughs> right? It's like that's how people are standing around idle, talking about nothing and echoing the latest ideas, right? And Jesus goes out into his vineyard and actually says, hey, now I'm hiring you. So what you were doing before, leave it and follow me. Leave it and follow me. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard also. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius, that which he promised he would give them. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled against the master of the house, saying, we've been here all day. We had it right all along. 
We were thinking right. We were doing what's right. Why are you going to give grace to them too? We see the master of the field actually had his eye not just on those who had already been there all day, but on also those who were coming in. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only an hour, one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first shall be last. Let me end by saying this. The other scripture I was going to give you is Acts chapter 2, where they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. That's what we should be doing as we seek the things and the ways of God. Acts 2, right? 42 through 47. However, let me say this. It's all unto the purpose of God getting his grace that we've experienced out to the world. Just as Moses gave it, got it to Jethro, that he might actually understand the truth and the greatness of the one true God in the same way. Just because we've been celebrating something, a great victory, doesn't mean that God himself doesn't want to get that same grace to the world that right now clamors against him in the midst of their idleness. And what we want to unlock in our thinking, unlock in our souls, is that the same grace that you think you've been standing on up to this point because of the sinless life, the miracles, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that same grace he wants to get to the world who will also experience the grace that you yourself have experienced too. Even if and even when presently they're standing around idle because no one has come to hire them. But let me tell you that just like your life, just like Moses' life rather was used to influence Jethro, your life can be used to influence those people as well as you come, not just with truth, but also with grace. Declaring your deliverance that they also might come into the same grace that God has for them when you make it available through Jesus Christ and his gospel. You see that? Now's not a time to turn on one another nor to turn on the world. Now is the time to celebrate our deliverance, the grace that we've received, and go to hire those who are idle in the world around us that they might experience the same grace that we ourselves have received through the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen? All right. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us today. God, we thank you that you've helped us not only to come out of our life of slavery to sin, but that, God, you've called us to represent you well in this world, to stand on your word, and to celebrate the grace and the truth that you've revealed to us. And, God, we pray that in the same way that we've received that grace, 
God, we'd be empowered to offer it to others during this time, that people might come to repentance, a change of mind, a change of heart, and to faith in you, in Jesus' name. Help us to love and reflect you well. 